Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for the plans that you have for us to give us a future and a hope, a good report of uh, good things to come, oh God. Celebratory opportunities, oh Lord. That even now while we fight the good fight of faith and we are challenged on every side with adversity and hardship, uh, we choose, oh God, to believe and hear your report and say amen and welcome the reality of what your word announces the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We give you thanks to find ourselves in the house of God. We thank you for our wives, our marriages, our families, our children. Uh, you say that the descendants of men who fear God will be mighty upon the land, and we have no uh, lack of belief in that area that our children will be mighty, that they will be strong, that they will overcome adversity and conflict and opposition, that they will sit as champions for the glory of your name. We thank you, Lord, for your word in this season and pray that you would expound it so that we might understand that the infinite wisdom of your word would be uh, given to us in the capacity we are able to receive it, O God, so that we can rise up in the manner the character and the measure of your purpose. We pray that you would prosper your word in the hearts of your people. We come to celebrate Jesus in our devotion and worship that he is our God, that he is our king, that he is our Lord and worthy of our lives bowing down to him and him alone, O oh God. We thank you for the peace that surpasses all understanding. We give you thanks for the joy that it's inexpressible, Lord, how in the midst of these trials we could count it all joy. We can celebrate, we could dance, we could give you thanks to know that our God is great, merciful, and good. Father, now prosper your word as a good seed and good hearts and bring forth a harvest that glorifies your name, Lord. We bow down and worship you in Jesus' name. We pray, amen and amen. I am taken by two examples of the New Testament. One is found in Luke 21, uh, verses 1 through 4. Where Jesus is observing, he's looking at all the rich, the Bible says. The Bible says he looked up and saw the rich putting their offerings and gifts into the church treasury. I want to tell you that you might think that God is not aware of your sacrifice and your efforts, but his eyes are upon your heart pouring out in his direction. He's not there at the mall when you are using your credit cards at thousands upon thousands of dollars at a time. He's looking at your devotion in the house of God as you worship and give worth to the Lord. And that is where the eyes of Jesus was on this day as the rich were putting their gifts into the treasury. The Bible says, and he saw a certain poor widow, a certain a particular poor widow, no one was looking at her, but the Lord was looking at her, and she was putting in two mites. Now, in two mites are two coins. Uh, I've seen these coins physically. Um, they look like uh, uh, chips of copper. They're, like, they're very insignificant. Their weight is nil to nothing. And she was throwing these two coins into the treasury, Verse 3 says, so he says, truly I say to you that the poor widow has offered more than everyone here. 
She's given more than all those rich that have poured into the treasury. And the verse 4 tells us why. Because she, uh, out of all these, uh, all these out of the abundance, the people were giving leftovers, what was on their reserves, things that they could afford to give to God. But she, out of her poverty, has given all. Everything she had in this life's existence was poured into that box. I want to tell you that as, as far as being a man, I'm challenged whenever a woman outperforms a man. Not because I have more testosterone, but I believe that God called man to total surrender because of God's goodness. And when I see a man holding back, I find somebody that has been diminished in their manhood. When I see a woman shout, Amen! And her husband is like, I see an effeminate male who has been stripped of his capacity to glorify his God in heaven. I would much rather hear Armando Ibanez sit there and praise God so he would be heard in the front rows of the church and not the little old lady when I was 16 years old. Her name was Gladys and she was sat at the back and she was, Hallelujah! And I heard her always at the back, but I could never hear a man praise his God like Gladys would. She was a single mother. She had no little poor income, but she knew how to celebrate her God. As I met her, I understood why she would shout praises to her king. But I've always had the, um, the curiosity as to why men, all the men on the count of three say amen as loud as you can. One, two, three. Amen! amen! That's church to me. When I, when I see men praise the Lord, let's give a big hand to the Lord. When I see men standing up and giving their strength, how these guys, they walk into the gym and they spend eight hours and they're flexing as they walk. That's not strength to me. That's uh, feminine wantabees. Um, this guy, Ken, Pastor Ken Graves, says there's three types of men upon the earth. The men that know that they're men and they are men. The men that are not men and they know they're not men. And those who want to think they are men and act, they have an appearance of manhood, but they're not men. Um, we, we want to have men that have the capacity, and this is my pursuit. No one in my generation of my parents and my relative has ever laid it all on the line for Jesus Christ. It's not part of our heritage or our legacy. They all served governments. They were senators. They served the medical profession. They were great medical doctors. They served the community. They were servants. They were judges. They were all things. They were dentists. They were lawyers. All these things. But none of them surrendered it all and put it on the line for Jesus Christ. And that's my motivation um, in part. Those of you that don't know my testimony. My, my part is my generation will be different because of the capacity their father had to surrender it all to Jesus Christ. And that's my pursuit. Not only in my time and my title, but in my treasure. I want to give more to God than I've given to anything else. My accountants don't like this, and my business friends don't like this either. They're like, the IRS is not going to believe that you gave more to God than you made for your family. I said, well, that's their problem. That's their problem. I want to give it all to God. I want to be able to be up in heaven in the record books showing that I had a life of gratefulness. Not legalist pride or arrogance, but I am totally undone by the grace and mercy of God upon my life. I can't believe his goodness. I can't measure it. 
I haven't been able to find anyone like him in all my days of my life. So there it is. This woman has given it all. And I hope that this is a motivation for you to start running the race of faith, the race of endurance, the race of sacrifice, a race that Paul says, don't beat the air. You're going nowhere fast. You guys saw the Flintstones on the cartoons. Their feet would move fast and they would go nowhere. That's like a lot of Christians. They don't even understand the impact of their Christianity. They're pursuing all types of things except pursuing the things of God. But this poor widow put in more than all. There's a measure there in this capacity. This woman, this woman was putting more. And and men are competing to see how little they can get by with and still have the favor and the blessing of God. How much do I have to do? I have to go to church on Sunday? Do I have to give an offering? Do I have to go to Bible study, to discipleship? Do I have to read my Bible? Do I have to pray? These, these limits of diminishing capacity for the things of God are sad. They're sad because this world needs more of God and not less of God. They need more men of God, more women of God, more Matthew Hanaus in this life. They need more champions that love God above all things. That they not be hindered and restrained. The other woman is found in John chapter 12 verse 1. We all know the story. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. It's in the place where Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And they made supper for him in verse 2. I would have loved to have been able to serve Jesus a hot plate of food and welcome him to our house and have fellowship with him. I've, I've often been able to tell people to leave my house because they don't love Jesus Christ. If you don't love Jesus Christ, you're not coming into my living room. You'll come into my living room without knowing Jesus Christ, but I'll be preaching to you as you're there. And if I know that you are discounting the favor to give Jesus Christ your best, you probably will not be sitting in fellowship with me. I tried to avoid people that do not love Jesus Christ unless to reach them for Jesus Christ. But those who have despised the Lord, these men here uh, invited him in, and he noticed that, uh, again, verse 3, it was a woman who took a pound of very costly perfume and anointed his feet. Man, another woman. Where were the men that understood how awesome it would be to give Jesus a refreshing. If you know me also, when I'm around men of God, I treat them as nobility and dignitary. I will give them the best food, the best clothes, the best gifts. That's just how I roll. Why? Because it's my reflection of how I'm going to treat Jesus Christ when I see him. I cannot see a man of God and diminish his capacity for existence and despise him and say, I'm going to welcome the Lord. The Bible says that he will send to you angels disguised to see how you move in the direction of hospitality and welcoming them. I know for a fact that where I'm not welcome, Jesus is not welcomed. I know where I'm celebrated, and this is the fact. When we were there at the dinner this weekend, uh, David Lane saw me and Yvette. I don't know what he saw, but he saw something, and he says, you guys come and sit at the front table. You sit at that table that's reserved for my best guest. And I was like, no, sir. He goes, you got to sit with us. And so somebody says, Joaquin, they just see Jesus in you. They see Christ in you. I thank God for open doors at that capacity. 
when we went up to the prayer breakfast for the president's prayer breakfast, also the first table, the Lord says, I've set it aside for you. So I woke up, Pastor Oscar, I said, hurry up. The Lord says he has the first table for us. And so there was a line of 250 people going through the metal detectors before we got their secret service to have breakfast with George Bush. And so I said, well, I guess I was just hearing things and it wasn't the Lord. So we sat there for 250 people went in before us. So we thought for sure the first table would be taken. And sure enough, 251, me and Pastor Oscar came in and all of a sudden the Lord set us at the first table. Table number one, reserved at the front end of the room. And so God is faithful to keep his promises. And as if you usher the Lord with perfume and anoint his feet, and we are the body of Christ. We are the feet of Jesus. We are the hands of the Lord. It says she wiped with her hair his feet, and the house was filled with fragrance of that special oil. Only in the backdrop of my preaching today do I put these two examples, just in case you're giving more worship and celebrating more time at your work or your time here upon the earth or your pleasure or entertainment, that everything would be bowed down at the feet of Jesus, that he would be worthy of all our praise and celebration, that he would be at the top list of our fellowship in the things of God, that nothing diminish or restrict or limit your access to giving God your best. Amen? Uh, if this was a Christian church, everybody would be saying amen. amen. These two examples show me that God has chosen, just in case you don't know why we preach so much, 1 Corinthians 1.21, the Bible says that because the world could not figure out God with the wisdom of the world, they didn't know God, it pleased that through the foolishness of a preaching to save those who would believe. God chose this method so that in your hearts you might receive the substance of what God wanted you to receive to be able to obtain wisdom. Those people that hate preachers have a serious problem because that's the manner in which God fills your heart with the wisdom of God. I love preachers. I could hear preachers all day. In fact, if you know what I'm doing when I'm not doing something, I'm listening to a preacher. Every preacher, every kind, every type, every size, every denomination, where there's wisdom on the preached word of God is how I fill my life with the wisdom of God. And there's people that like Howard Stern. God forbid us. There's some people that like to hear foolishness. They're hearing other things that is not the word of God. I can't stand when a Christian brother lends me his car and I'm going down the street and I'm listening to Frank Sinatra. They're listening to the, to the perverted men in this world who did it their way. They're listening to rock bands. They're listening to rappers. They're listening to people that don't have anything from the wisdom of God to dispose of. And Barry Manilow and... Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton and all the rest that have great songs, the Beach Boys, the Beatles, nothing can compare to filling your life and your family with the wisdom of God, Amen. that you be saturated by the message. He says he chose this instrumentality to fill our hearts with the wisdom because it's through that preaching that we will believe. What is the most important thing about our existence upon life? What is the priority for our existence upon life? It's not about your gifts and your looks and your academics. It's not your career, your family, your contribution, your accomplishments. It's not the society you live in, but it's in your perspective to see and to know God. To be able to perceive and know God at its highest expression. I want to tell you that today's message is a world-changing greatness about our God. 
That whatever the case is in your life right now, if you could remove it and set your eyes upon Jesus, that you might know the totality of his greatness will begin to peel back everything that God has for you in a manner that you will experience victory. You will experience. A lot of people don't like Christians because we talk about, we boast about our triumph, our victory. We praise the fact that life is good and people are like, are you sick? All right, what's wrong with you? Don't you see what's happening? And our eyes, like it says in Hebrews chapter 2, are not on the things of this earth. Chapter uh, 1 and 2, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says that since we are um, running this race, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, lay aside. What are those things that, that are weighty, in sin that so easily ensnares us, slows us down from this race that we're trying to run with endurance that's before us? What is it that doesn't allow us to accomplish the things that we were created for, the things that, that God intended for it to be our reality? Why is it that we are so bound by unbelief? Why is it that we believe a lie and we reject truth? Why is it that our trials seem to be heavier than our ability to overcome? Verse 2, the way we deal with these issues is looking unto Jesus. This is God's game plan for us to overcome the things in this world. A right perspective of who God is will allow you to overcome every obstacle that you have to face. It will allow you to see things from a perspective that is healthy. Um, I, I love to... To see my children, they grew up in the Lord, and every time I talk to them, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, passed through with compassion for their lives when they're having a hiccup in the road or, or some little curve or a little uh, uh, twist, and, and I come up to them, and they have the word of God in their heart, and they're giving me the answers. They says, Dad, don't worry. We got the game plan. It was Christina at the age of five. We went to Nicaragua on a mission trip, and we were riding horses. I had a break time, so I had a horse, she had a horse, and we're going down the beach. And, and I wanted to spend some dad-daughter time. And I said, so how are things going? She says, dad, at night, the devil comes in my room. I was like, man, what a dirty rat. How does he come into a little five-year-old's room? And, and he tells me that you and mom are going to get divorced. And the, at the time, she was sitting in a classroom where all her little friends were coming home every week saying mom and dad are separating, mom and dad are divorcing. And so she was overwhelmed by, by the flood of the cultural impression on a five-year-old mind. And I started getting a lump in my throat. I started, I was like, I was about to tear and I didn't want her to hear dad. And, and I just kept quiet. And she says, but dad, I told the devil, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Get out of my room. Wow! If you don't call that a champion, I don't know what is. Somebody with a heavenly perspective in the midst of earthly trials and tribulation, darkness, confronted by demons in her room as a little girl. And she's standing up strong at the age of five saying, devil. And I was like, what would you tell him? I told him he was a liar and I rebuked him in Jesus' name and I told him, get out of my room. And I said, you go, girl. You go, girl. Because she had a champion's perspective about life. First John chapter 5, verse 4 says, This is the victory that overcomes the world, even so our faith. As we look upon Jesus, who's the one that set the course from beginning to end, we can say like this, This that is born of God, whoever believes, verse 4 please, 
Whoever believes in Jesus is born of God, and whatever is born of God has victory over the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our perspective on eternal things, our ability to know in the midst of circumstance and situation and setbacks and adversity, when the devil's filling our lives with reports of how wrong things are, you could raise up a banner. You could raise up a banner and have a different report. It was Samuel, 1 Samuel 17, and verse 4, the Bible begins to describe for the next three verses a giant. And, and people have a greater capacity to measure our problems than they do our answers. I hate that. I hate the fact that there's very few people that are able to raise up a banner and not the problem. And it says his name was Goliath. His name was cancer. His name was bankruptcy. His name was whatever his name is, but there's one name above all names. And when we know that name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And his height, they know his name and his height. They know his width, his span. They have all the measurements. Do you have friends that are expert in describing problems and situations? You know you're 40 years old, you're not married yet, and nobody gets married after 40. And that you could stand up and begin to give them the description of the greatness and the plans of God for your life. The plans that he has for your family. The plans that he has for your children. The plans he has for ministry. When, when seen in the face of limited lifespan here upon the earth, I'm like, Lord, there's a lot for me to accomplish. I don't have time to fear death. There's a lot that God has in his purpose for my life. Not one day shall pass until all is accomplished in his purpose. I don't have to be living life under the shadow of fear because the antithesis of fear is called faith. Verse 5, it continues to describe the problem. It says, his name with Goliath, his height was such and such, his, his span is this, his helmet was made out of bronze, covering his head, there was no way to get to him. His armor was a coat of mail and weight of coat was 5,000. The weight of his coat, of that which, which covered him, the bronze, shekels it says that it was the weight of 5,000 shekels it was a heavy coat verse 6 continues on to say and he had a bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin within his shoulders he had a man that was at his side and covered him as his armor bearer and so all these descriptions verse 7 of what the enemy the size of his spear as a weaver's beam his iron uh, spearhead weighed 600 shekels. His shield and his armor bearer went before him. The pure descriptions. I thank God for people like David. People like David had a perspective of God. They weren't watching the giant. They said, listen, everybody's telling me that I should have an armor on right now, that I, I'm crazy for being out here, I'm too young. But his life's purpose was to have a godly perspective. In verse 45 of this chapter, this is the declaration of David. He says like this, David said to the Philistine, you come to me with all your equipment, your spear, your sword, your javelin, but I have my eyes not on the problem, but in the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you are overstepping your bounds. This is not your territory to win. This is my territory to win. I'm at the right place at the right time with the right mindset. You have no chance to come here. I love that. And that's what we're trying to do this morning. Yeah. Trying to put our eyes upon Jesus. 
trying to garner that we're not upon the earth to become businessmen. We're not upon the earth to become pursuing our careers and our accomplishment. Not to say that you don't have a career. I have a career. I studied. I went through that time and space in obedience to my parents and to the godly leaders in my life. And that established a platform that was so godly and so powerful. The Bible says in Psalm 77, 13, the way of God, the perspective of God is found in the sanctuary. Your way, O oh God, is in the sanctuary. Those people that have put going to church out of their schedule are a bunch of fools They've been deceived. Yesterday we were at an auction and this young man says, I don't have time to go to church. I have to work tomorrow. I'm like, you are nutty in la cabeza. You're, you're fuddy. You're, you're mixed up in your understanding that it's in the house of God that God gives you the game plan to be able to confront your enemies. How many thank God they're here this morning? Absolutely. Absolutely. That you chose to spend time in the presence of God where God opens the heaven and sends down blessing and eternal life, abundance of living. I have so much peace in my life, I cannot compare. I don't need drugs. I don't need a huge bank account. I don't need to posture and to compete. Why? Because I'm in the sanctuary contemplating how great a God as our God. Who is greater than our God? I find that some people have the opportunities to continue to speak about all things other than God. I was talking to uh, David Kern, who's doing our film on what is a man at a natural. He says, Pastor, you know something? I've never met people like you. Usually amongst Christians, they like to talk about Jesus for five minutes, and then they want to talk about Star Wars and Steven Spielberg and all the accomplishments of man. The Bible says they became fools and began to seek the created things rather than the creator. They put emphasis on things that exist as expressions of down here and not look at our God. Lord, teach me how to live this life. And it comes from our healthy umbilical cord to the sanctuary of God. The people that want to stay home, they don't have an understanding of the greatness that God wants to bring into their lives. The devil has done a great stronghold, a fortress that keeps them back from knowing who they are and what they came to do and how they're to do it. This is all an expression of the greatness of God, and it comes in the sanctuary. So I like to hang out with people like King David, Psalm 34, verse 3. If I'm going to come together with somebody, I want to come together with those who know how to magnify the name of the Lord. Come, let's magnify the Lord with me. Let us lift his name up together. When God begins to be put in his rightful place, then the expression of our existence begins to be fruitful and passionate and lively. The word enthusiasm means in God, in theos, the sentiment of being on charted course with God. To fulfill his purpose. The things no eyes have seen, no ears have heard, has never even come into the heart of man. The things prepared. Those are the things I want above all others. I don't want relationships outside of the relationship of God. Listen, this weekend some men went on, on, on some work. Uh, you know, one man is, is, is traveling to another country and he has a plan to meet with investors. Listen to me. Whenever I can meet with godly relationships, I am enriched multiplied in my influence and in my standing upon the earth. In God's purpose, as we begin to walk with God, we begin to measure all the things that God has the ability to calculate. Let's magnify the Lord. 
Let's not magnify our problems. Let, it, let us exalt his name. Wherever there's a problem, you begin to talk about how God overcomes the situation. Joshua says, I don't know about you. If you want to continue in the mindset of your parents that were on the other side of the river, but as far as I'm concerned, me and my house will serve the Lord. I want my kids to have godly mindset, godly perspective. I know there's men that could sit down at the dinner table and talk about hours upon hours of their finances, of their abilities, of their talents, of their economy, of their investments, of their interests, of the percentages of how they're garnering, uh, hoarding wealth upon the earth. I want to sit down and talk about how great our God is, how amazing his favor and his goodness is. I want to describe him in every description of his limitless and infinite glory that he reveals to those who seek him. I know that in Genesis chapter 10, man was hiding. And the reason he had been withdrawn and isolated, the reason why he had been restricted in his expression of living is that somebody had spoken to him. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3 verse 10. The Bible says that it was there when God came down to walk with man in the cool of the day that he, the man says, I heard your voice and I was afraid and I hid myself because I was naked. What is this withdrawn individual that is not enjoying the expanse, lavish extravagance of God's greatness? Why was he in a corner? Why was he not engaged? Why was he not involved? It's so sad to me that children cannot hear the praises of God on the lips of their fathers. They're hearing the boasting of carnal men who think in their wisdom they have prospered. In verse 11, God asked man a question. Who told you that you were naked? Where did you shift your eyes to that you received some other information? Who told you? What are you listening to? We should be listening to, on a daily basis, the expressions and the description of God's infinite greatness. Listen to me. We, we don't even have a clue. We think that we're the center of our universe. We have, we have relegated God to a puny, tiny religion that we practice two times, two hours every Sunday. And we're consumed by the flood of iniquity, the flood of man's, um, the, the Bible says, the, the, the mystery of iniquity. As God, uh, as man starts becoming large. He's in control of his business, of his career, of his family, of his finances, of his future. So, so man has drawn up and has, has made, the Bible says, professing to be wise, they became fool and they diminished the capacity of the greatness of God. I was just overwhelmed by facts. I'm not a very mathematical inclined man. But the Bible, the Bible in the description of how God created everything shows for the great expanse of his existence. Isaiah 40 verse 15 says he measured every water of all the oceans in the palm of his hand. Listen, when I go to the ocean, I got to be careful I don't drown. And here he says that he has reduced all things on the palm of his hands. He has counted all all the sands on the death dust of his scale, even the, to the small dust. Look, he lifts up the aisles. The mountains are little things compared to his greatness. He calculates the measure of all things created. Verse 16. 
Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast sufficient for burnt offerings. The praises we could give him can, can never suffice. Verse 17. All nations before him are as nothing. Wait, wait, wait. We, we hear it on the newspaper every day. We're overwhelmed by the information we get. And yet everything is nothing before him. And they are counted by him less than nothing and without worth. So when we begin to read the newspapers and watch the news and see all the political crisis and all the chaos, we can say, God, you are above all these things and these things are nothing to you. In one second, the page is turned and we start eternity, the glory of God's future. He is a mighty God. He's the infinite creator. We begin to magnify his name together. And you start seeing that in our eyes, the enemy looks large. Numbers chapter 13, verse 32. As they went in to take the promised land, some men decided to put their eyes on other things and not on their great God. He had just given them power and might to save them out of Egypt and Pharaoh and the armies that were much greater in a land that was greater. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report, these men. They spied out saying, the land through which we have gone as spies devours its inhabitants. You start putting your eyes on other things and you say, none of us will be able to be saved. Start talking about the economy. Start talking about investments. Start talking about businesses going bankrupt. The land that's before us devours those who dwell in it. And all the people, our enemies that are against us, are men of great stature. These guys are giants. Their eyes were not upon the Lord. They were upon their surroundings. If you give your children a humanistic, secular perspective of life, they lose because they'll be overwhelmed by fear. But if you give them the height and the greatness of our God, they're able to respond like Joshua did. Joshua says, listen, those, let's, let's go to verse 28 of this chapter shows the, the perspective here. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in that land are strong. Their cities are fortified and they're large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of these giants that were in the land. They were scoping out their opposition and giving it weight on their lives. In verse, let's go to Joshua 11.21. Joshua having a different perspective saying, if God says that these are ours, we have the victory. And he says, at that time, Joshua came and he was able to cut off the giants from the mountains, from Hebron to Debir, from all the mountains of Judah, from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. He came up, up against these giants of great stature and fortified cities with his God, and they were as nothing. We always say that God in one is enough for victory. He was able to establish that. We read chapter 14. Verse 12, again, it tells us that Joshua had a different mindset, and he says, I want what God said was mine. Now, therefore, give me this mountain which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and shall be able to drive them out as he promised. He's willing to fight with a great big God. Not with a little crutch of religion. 
Deuteronomy 1.28, as they entered the land, they were able to establish the testimony of the Lord in that place. They were able to, where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified. Up to the heavens. They had described their opposition as greater than their God. Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakin there. That was their report. Chapter 9, verse 12 of Deuteronomy. The descriptions of everything that we could do, and we can't help it. Then the Lord said to me, Arise and go down quickly from here, for you... Your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded, and they begin to make for themselves other priorities, other aspects to bow down before. I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to see that God has provision for us. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. The promises of God for our life in each one of our settings of adversity is huge. It says, it is he who sits upon the circle of the earth. And God sees not our enemies being large and we being as grasshoppers, but all our enemies are like grasshoppers. Who stretch, God stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. His covering, his protection is vast. His particularity that you can talk with God I asked a man for an appointment last week. He says, I can't see you. You're going to have to talk to my secretary. I said, puny, puny and tiny are you. My God will give me a session. Bow my knees before the great and awesome God who bows down his ears to hear what we have in our need of time. The Bible says that men who lift up themselves and diminish God. Romans 1.21, although they had an opportunity to know God, they did not glorify him as God. They weren't thankful, but became puny in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The answers of God are huge. His provisions are mighty. He, he doesn't want to turn you over to thoughts that, that do not consider him. The Bible says a foolish man is consumed with his thoughts all day. Not one of them is put on God. Not one of them marks out. This, this man in Mark 9, 21 has a huge problem. And Jesus shows up and he says, how long has this been happening to your son? Mark 9, 21. How long have you been going through this problem? How long has your child had this problem? And he says, he, from childhood, since he was a little boy, I think that that's a great time to start filling up our, our, our young men with the thoughts of God's greatness and God's purpose for their life. The reassuring promises of God's greatness and his plans for our lives in the light of anything. He can't, he's a stutterer. It doesn't matter. God's going to make his mouth speak like an encyclopedia. Well, he doesn't grow. Well, you, he's going to be the giant of all giants. God's going to raise us up as a reference to it. That's the things that God has chosen. God has chosen the little things to show forth his greatness. To lay down our greatness like Paul did saying... I'm not going to consider what I am. I consider it trash so that I can give room to God's greatness, his power, his might. It says since he was a child, verse 22, Jesus asked a little bit further, describing that this young man, he often throws himself into the fire, into the water to, to be destroyed. But if you can, if you can do anything, this is, this is the problem here. Lord, if, if you can... 
if you can? If you can. Now, somebody obviously has not even told you who I am. Obviously, somebody has not told you that I make a barren woman bear a thousand children. I can, I can make things happen. Have compassion on us, Lord. Help us. Look at these three things. If you can, it's because he wants to have compassion, because he wants to be our giant. He wants to be our deliverer, our healer. He wants to be our strong fortress in time of need. And so verse 23, I don't know if they wrote this verse down right. I don't know if Jesus says, and he says, if you can believe. I think he says, if you can, believe with all things are possible to him who believes. What do you mean if I can? If you, if you change your perspective, if you change your understanding, things are going to turn in a powerful direction. So the Bible continues on to describe this, <clears throat> this interaction between a father who needs and a God who wants to reveal to him that if he gets the right perspective, then things will change. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but wherever I'm not seeing what I should be seeing, help me. Help me have a, a healthy, proper perspective of who you are and what you do and the benefits of knowing you. Verse 25, when Jesus saw that the people came running, a crowd was starting to, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out and, and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out and convulsed greatly and came out of him and he came out as one dead so that many said he's dead. But Jesus, he was exhausted and Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Verse 28, and when he had come into the house, his disciples said privately, why couldn't we cast that thing out? What was the problem? And he says, you got to pray more. You got to fast more. In other words, you have to have an affinity to see my greatness in a greater capacity. You couldn't see it. You couldn't, you couldn't come into that realm to know my power and my strength that wanted to operate on behalf of these people. I, I want to tell you in passing, as a little parenthesis here, that how our life gets cluttered by all the things that this life informs us to is what's stealing us and diminishing our capacity to see God's greatness. If you're sitting before your bills, if you're sitting before finances and your work and you're not bowing down and praying and seeing the greatness and the mercy of God towards your life, if you're not seeing the goodness of God and spending more time praising him than lamenting where the devil is stripped you. I love that song. I don't know if we could sing it this morning. That I'm going into the enemy's camp and I'm going to bring back what he stole from me. I'm not going to allow the lies of the devil to come into our territory and begin to build these things that show his ammunition. I was watching one of these A um, and E reports in the Second World War that they had hired Hollywood to begin to inflate rubber tanks and rubber missiles and rockets and, and, and they were just inflatables. 
And they started blowing them up, and they started putting sound effects of bombs, and, 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 and nothing was happening. It was all a facade. They said, if we can make Germany Nazis feel that we're a great army marching in, and when they were taking their aerial shots, they saw great armies coming in. with. They were all inflatable rubber tanks. There was nobody there. There were, there were, there were soldiers that were mannequins. They weren't even real soldiers. And the devil has done this in our lives, taking territory, taking our time, taking our thoughts to worry about things that have no power, that are totally disarmed. A lot of times our loneliness begins to, to bring up shadows of great giants that don't exist because if our God is for us, who could be against us? If our God is with us, we cannot be denied. This kind of, of, of perspective can only come by prayer and fasting. By diminishing our taste for Hollywood and all the things that it brings along with it. First John, uh, John 1.9 says we must begin to confess our sins. I believe if we begin to tell God where we have missed them, he's faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. To have a clean conscience where it's not overburdened with guilt and with problems of, of diminished capacity that we not be limited in our ways to think. A lot of times we, we think that life is drowning us out and it's because we don't have a perspective of the faithfulness and the mercy and the goodness of God. If we confess our sins, he'll begin to cleanse us. He'll begin to cleanse us so that we could begin to know how to address earthly perspectives. First uh, Timothy 4 verse 1 says, in the latter days, many shall depart from the faith. They'll begin to listen to seducing spirits and demonic doctrines. These things that begin to say that God is not for us, that God is not with us. Chapter 4 verse 1, first Timothy chapter 4 verse 1, the last days, a lot of people will be departing from faith. I would rather have in a city powerful men of faith. When we went to Cuba, we said, you're not to be known by your sugar crops or your tobacco harvest. You're to be known as having those men, the character that glorify our God in heaven. Cuba will only be great when God is great in Cuba. Until God is great in Cuba, Cuba will continue to be an arrogant, boastful, poverty-stricken, godless nation. But those who begin to look at the mercy of God not departing from faith, listening to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Verse 2, men whose conscience has been seared with a hot iron. There's some people that feel that God is not going to reward those who honor. That honor is gone, that we don't need to honor nowadays. We don't have to honor our parents. Uh, the Ten Commandments is, is the first four have to do... Uh, First four have to do with God, and then he, the first three have to do with God, and then number four comes, honor your mom and dad. That perspective in life makes you a champion. There's people that don't listen to their parents. When I was 35 years old, they invited me to go ride motorcycles with all the pastors here in South Florida. We're going with Marco Witt down to Keys. It was 50 pastors. They said, come on, Joaquin, I got a motorcycle for you. I said, no. He says, why not? I want to honor my dad. Yeah, you're 35. You're married. You have four kids. I said, I don't care. I'm going to honor him till I die. I want the testimony of heaven in my life. I want to honor my parents, the men of God, those people that take God serious. It says these men have departed from faith because they begin to live a double standard and their conscience are seared, not knowing what to honor or where to spend their time or where to invest their talents. I had a man last week says, I left your church 13 years ago and I've lived a desert for 13 years. 
It's been a nightmare and I want to come back. I said, well, I don't know about you coming back. I don't know about you coming back. Because now you're in crisis, now you're in confusion, now you're in chaos, and now you want to come back. And you know something? It's a fearful thing to be in the hands of a God. A lot of people say that the God of the New Testament is full of grace and he always gives second chances. But my Bible reads, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, don't fall short of the grace of God lest you become like Esau, who traded his inheritance for a morsel of temporary Looking careful. Don't fall short of the grace of God because then roots of bitterness come in and you'll be defiled. Your conscience will be lost. You won't know what's right. You won't know what's wrong because you despise the rebuke, the admonition, the exhortation of the Lord. Verse 16, it says, later on, he wanted to receive the inheritance with, um, for one morsel of food, he sold his birthright. The inheritance of godly legacy. Verse 17 says, even though afterwards he wanted to inherit the blessing was rejected. There was no place found for repentance even though he sought it diligent. This looks like an Old Testament passage and it's in the New Testament. The New Testament of saying let's look at God's greatness before the time comes where your reality will set in and not have the benefits of God's reality. You don't want to go into your old age with children who don't know the greatness of the Lord. Deuteronomy 32 verse 3, he says like this, For I proclaim the name of the Lord. I'm going to talk to you about God, Moses says, and I want you to ascribe to him, to give him the greatness. Deuteronomy, come on, 32, 3. As I proclaim the name of the Lord, as you are listening to what you're listening to this morning, then you ascribe greatness. You, you shift over the paradigm that your life would reflect what God intended in the first stead. Ascribe greatness to our God. Give him the full weight of balance that he's worthy of. Because at the end of the day, verse 4, he alone is our rock. He alone is the place where we will stand strong his work is a perfect work. All his ways are justice, a God of truth without injustice, righteousness, and upright is he. I want to be sitting in that balance. I want to make that my perspective. I want to get rid of anything that plays with that in my life. Not only anything, but anyone. I want to be able to, Psalm 145 verse 3, know that great is the Lord. And he's greatly to be praised. And the unsearchable greatness of his power will transfer from, verse 4, from generation to generation. To praise the works of God from one generation to the other. That they all declare how mighty, how powerful is he. Verse 5, I will speak of the glorious honor of his majesty, of his wonderful works. Quit being consumed with yourself. You're not God. Quit having your family praise and worship your wisdom because your wisdom is foolishness before the wisdom of God. Verse 6, men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. And when I hear them speak of how awesome you are, I will declare your greatness. I will lift up the goodness of God. Verse 7, They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is awesome. 
He's merciful. He's kind and compassionate. Let's stand today. And I pray that, that you have received from the Lord a word of the Lord. And that your steps might change. That your path might change. That your priorities might change. You know, we have in our church in the last two years, three years, several families who have come that have already tried it the other way. And they're like Naomi coming back from having gone to the land of Moab to think that there's a harvest there, but her sons died. To think that there was a promise there, but there was no promise. And then she returns to the land of, of Jerusalem, of Israel, in the time where God's promises are being fulfilled. And she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Because I have been embittered by God. He has stripped me of everything I had. She doesn't say the devil. She doesn't say the famine. She's saying her perspective of not measuring the greatness of God and his faithfulness. I don't want to miss that in our generation. I don't want to miss that in my lifetime. I don't want to miss that in my children's lifetime. I want them to have a healthy, godly perspective. How good? Why? Because we're being told how awful it is to be a Christian, how awful it is to serve the Lord, how awful it is to engage in ministry. It strips you of your time. It's sacrificial. It's painful. It's hurtful. I'm not going to the church because it hurt me. Listen, church is supposed to hurt you so you could grow up and stop being a baby. I've never seen anybody say that about the world. I went to a hospital, got hired, and they hurt me. What's he talking about? The reason God allows him to put us through trials, my Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 3, get excited. Start celebrating. Fill your life with joy, knowing that this testing of your faith produces character. That the hardship, you'll never understand what hurt is until you get into a full-time ministry. You'll never understand that reality. So the, the, the devil wanting to justify you leaving your legacy and your identity, going to a faraway land and spending your wealth to end up eating with pigs is going to be a terrible time. A terrible time. But if you stay in the house as a faithful son, the Bible says that you're going to inherit the promises of God's goodness. And nothing will take that away from you. Nothing. I, I had all types of, of friends tell me, don't go to ministry, your children, your wife, your marriage, your finances, everything's going to be horrible. My Bible says God is great and greatly to be praised. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we have been challenged. Doesn't matter if we've been Christians for 40 years, we've been challenged by the fact that we often diminish who you are and what you want to do in our lives. Many times our measures are not your measure. Many times our weights are not your weights. Many times the devil has played a trick on us and offered us a plate of lentil. And we have forsaken the birthrights of a legacy in your purposes. Thank you that you have spoken to us clearly out of your word. And we want to say like David, come let us magnify the Lord. Let's exalt his name together. That our praises for your compassion and your mercy and your goodness and your wealth of wisdom and your prosperity take us to the place that we are like the widow. That we're able to give it all. 
that we would be like the woman and her perfume, the costly perfume that is poured out, seemingly lost at the feet of Jesus. But you are not man that you should turn from your goodness of remembering nothing, nothing that we offer you, nothing that we bow down to do will ever come close to the showered mercy, grace, goodness, and provision of our God on this earth. Give us godly righteousness. Give us godly indignation that there's some men that want to barter and negotiate and commerce like the magician Simon, that his money perish with him, that roots of bitterness have come in, that his falling short of the grace of God did not allow him to participate. Let his money perish with him. He thought that he could purchase the gift of God. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that in these last days you fill us with your spirit, that we are those that dream dreams, that we see visions, that we have the clarity and the purity of conscience, that we not stumble in thoughts of rejection, condemnation, regret. Renew us right now in Jesus' name. Give us a new start today, O oh God, to start weighing the things that you weigh, seeing the things that you see. We repent. We confess our sins. Many times we don't see your capacity, your potential. We don't see that you created the universe, that you, the one that measured all things. Father, allow us to leave godly legacy and words of your confidence in the hearts of our daughters, Lord that you're a faithful God who sees all things and brings all things to pass for the glory of your name. We bless you in the house of God. We thank you. We celebrate you always. And the people of God say amen, amen, and amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord. Hallelujah.